Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. It's Anne from Supercharged Lab on behalf of the AIP podcast. And today we have the lovely Patricia Thane with us, CEO and co-founder of Private AI. Private AI provides cutting edge machine learning models that are the best in the world at finding, redacting, and generating synthetic PII within semi and unstructured data sets. To date, they have hit 99.5% in accuracy in 33 languages across 50 plus different entity types. And they deploy as a Docker container with their partner's existing infrastructure so that their data never leaves their environment and is never shared with anyone else, ever. With private AI, any company can now safely share their production data with machine learning, data science, and analytics teams while safeguarding their customer trust. So, Patricia, a huge warm welcome to you, and it's our pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much, Anne. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. So maybe we can we can start off with you telling us a little bit about you, your background, and really, what's the problem that you're trying to solve with private AI? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. And so... Um, my background is in research and privacy preserving natural language processing and uh, did a lot of research combining homomorphic encryption, which allows you to compute in the encrypted domain. So you encrypt a one, you encrypt a two, you add them together, you decrypt the result and you get a three. Uh, and uh, combining that with natural language processing. And while I was uh, doing that research, I realized there was this really huge gap in the market where it was very difficult for developers to integrate privacy into their software pipeline. And so the idea for private AI came from that. Uh, we're creating the soft, the privacy layer for software in general. And really core to that is having the best personally identifiable information uh, identification system in the world that has to work very efficiently. That's, uh, that is absolutely amazing. So how would startups and organizations go about identifying a strong data privacy strategy? And how could one get started with defining one? Yeah, so... If um, for startups that are just starting out, uh, if you look at a lot of the data protection regulations around the world, two core components are consent. So making sure that the users know what data they are sending you, what you're going to use it for, uh, being able to uh, delete it if they request it, and uh, being able to give them access to their information if they request it. That's pretty core to a lot of data protection regulations. And then another one is data minimization. So really minimizing the amount of personally identifiable information that you're collecting, um, minimizing it to only what you need, uh, and also only keeping it for as long as you need it. So having a date in which you uh, commit to deleting it after which you don't actually need it anymore. And that de-risks a lot of uh the data collection that you do if there is a cybersecurity uh, attack on your company and there's a data leak uh, you, that'll save you a lot of uh, heartache and headache that's fascinating How, could you perhaps help us unravel a framework for the ethical use of data in artificial intelligence and machine learning perhaps what are the leading public policies that could be referenced so there's still there's still a lot to be done uh, However, in the case in the United States, for example, uh, one uh, legislation is around if you are making decisions about somebody uh, 
with regards to insurance, for example, or with regards to their credit score, whether they can get credit, uh, they, then in that case, if you are using AI, you need to have that be explainable. You need to explain why they got a particular score or why a particular decision was made, and they have the right to contest that information. Uh, the, make sure that whatever uh, inference, uh, whatever result that uh, they got from the inference of a model is based on uh, information that is correct. That is super important. So the right for users to be able to correct information and also the right for users to be able to contest the use of their personal data in certain situations, I'd say is super important. Um, but if we're looking at AI-specific regulations, uh, we can look at towards the EU that has proposed the AI bill. Uh, and in that regulation, uh, they list three different kinds of uh, AI. AI that uh, is unacceptable use, AI that is uh, concer of concerning use and that needs to be regulated, and AI that is less concerning, uh, so um, low risk. So high risk, low risk, and unacceptable. The unex in the unacceptable category, there's things like social scoring uh, and also biometric use in public settings for um, for uh, public, sa public safety uh, or for, for police uses. And then the um, high-risk situations would be something like... Uh, getting a insurance scores or uh, determining whether or not you get credit or uh, any anything related, anything that uh, seems to be light, a life-changing decision. And then in the low risk, you've got things like chatbots, which I think still can be uh, high risk in certain situations, but we don't have to get into that. And then they list another few things that are that they consider low risk. And the reason I think this is really important is because it opens up a dialogue uh, worldwide around what is acceptable use of AI and what is not acceptable use of AI. And having that put into legislation is a super interesting uh, beginning of a conversation that we're going to see in the years to come. Wow, that uh, that, that is very um, obviously interesting. And, and yes, I think it's important to understand what the future of uh, privacy and, and, and ethical use of data is. So how can one go about creating an ethical framework for the use of data? Uh, or rather, how can that, that creation of that framework uh, become a competitive advantage for an enterprise? Perhaps you could share some well-known use case, cases that could help us frame our thinking around this and prioritize data privacy. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so if in the case of um, if you look at companies that have not been doing uh, using data in an ethical way, uh, well-known use cases for Meta, uh, for example, uh, they really recently had the largest fall in share price in the history of um, in, in the past decade, if not, not history, it's uh, it was a crazy drop. Uh, but if you look at that share price drop and then compare it to the competitive advantages that you have when you look at signal uh, usage increase or Telegram's usage increase, uh, these are both uh, platforms that are end-to-end -end encrypted uh, for messaging uh, and compete with WhatsApp or DuckDuckGo's usage increase and they compete with uh 
Google. Um, these products would likely not have had uh, much of a chance at all when competing with WhatsApp or Google if they didn't have privacy uh, as a center of their um, uh, of their value proposition. And that that is such a huge uh, advantage just in itself because you know you get people who are interested in privacy that don't have that many options at the moment. Um, but on the other hand, it's also a huge advantage in terms of trust. They will keep those users uh, as they grow. Uh, you won't see the drastic drop in usage the way that you saw in WhatsApp, for example, because of that lack of trust, that complete loss of uh, belief in what the company was telling them was happening with their data. Yeah. So let's take a little bit of a change in tone. Tell us a little bit about what differential privacy is and how does this work for decentralized private networks? For differential privacy, uh, I'll start with an example of um, how it was first thought of. It really came came about when you were thinking about a structured data set and you wanted to query that structured data set to get some sort of generalizable understanding about a population. So if you had a data set about uh, cancer patients uh, who smoked or didn't smoke, uh, if that was a column, and then potentially had another disease, and you wanted to query what the likelihood is of getting cancer if you smoke, uh, and you didn't want to be able to tell that a particular person with a rare disease was in that database. So you want to make a generalization about a population. You could do that, perform that query, and then... Uh, the result of that query, a little bit of noise gets added. So you don't know if you queried, does a particular person with a rare disease uh, have cancer and smoke? Uh, you, you don't know if the answer would be one, zero, or two uh, people that are in that database. Um, but if you have a large enough population and a little bit of noise is added to it, you and you, the generalization is actually there, uh, that little bit of noise does not affect uh, whether that the result will speak to that generalization. So for differential privacy, it could be used for structured data sets, but more recently it's also being used in machine learning uh, in order for machine learning models not to memorize uh, personally identifiable information within training data. And so if you have a decentralized approach uh, where, you've, uh, uh, where you're using federated learning or decentralized machine learning uh, in order to uh, learn, for example, uh, what the use of emoticons are in specific contexts, uh, then you could add differential privacy uh, to prevent uh, the machine learning model learning very specific behavior. And in some cases, that can increase the accuracy of the model uh, by generalizing more on uh, behavior. Uh, it adds a little bit of noise to the training uh, by um, modifying the... Uh, amount that a particular data point modifies the model at training. And this is very interesting because it does have mathematical guarantees of privacy, um, and but it has come uh, up very often that the there could be downsides in terms of accuracy when you add differential privacy, and there are some uh, downsides in terms of bias because it will not memorize rare information. And what's rare is also uh, information about uh, individuals who are in underrepresented populations, for example. So there are pros and cons. 
that and that is really really um, interesting and it's amazing that you know we are able to unlock these uh, snippets of gold I would say um, so, so we're now winding down to the end of a podcast and I really want to thank you Patricia for your time and in closing perhaps we is there anything you would like to share with our listeners who are interested in increasing their data or, or improving their data privacy um, practices for their businesses? How would they get in touch with you or your services? Yeah, um, so they can visit our website at uh, private-ai.com uh, and take a look at whether our services are relevant to them. Uh, we also have a decision tree to determine what kind of privacy, uh, uh, privacy enhancing technologies are right for them. Uh, so happy to share that with them uh, or discuss with them if they're wondering what kind of privacy enhancing technology is right for them. Uh, it could take that, take them through it. Uh, not every technology is right for every use case. And uh, it's uh, important to really take it on a case by case basis uh, before you decide what uh, what you actually need for your company. So uh, you could contact me either on LinkedIn uh, or Twitter, or uh, you can email me at patricia at uh, private-ai.com. Wow, what a thrill it's been. Once again, thank you for being with us, Patricia. It's Anne of Supercharged Lab on behalf of the AIP podcast signing off. Thank you. Thank you so much, Anne.